All right, well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we transition now to this time, we've worshipped you in song. And now, Lord, we worship you by listening to your word, hearing your word, Lord. And Lord, this is your word. This is your message to us. This is not my word as a preacher, but it is your word. We thank you for your word. And Lord, now open our hearts and our minds, our ears to hear your word as it is preached and taught to us today, Lord. And for all of us who are in Christ, Lord, we pray that your powerful spirit would work in us to apply the message of your word to our hearts, Lord, that we might live in obedience to you as servants of Jesus Christ. And Lord, if there are those today, and certainly there are those today who have never trusted in Christ, who are listening to this message, whether here or on a TV screen or through our podcast, Lord, wherever it may be, if there's any who have never trusted in Jesus, then through this message, through your word, Lord, work on their hearts, turn their hearts to Jesus Christ. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Matthew 5, 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Perhaps this was the text that the old surly deacon had in mind when he began to pray for a new pastor for his church. He prayed that God would send their church a, a pastor who was poor and humble in spirit. And he said, Lord, if you will just keep him humble, we'll keep him poor. <laughs> it's okay, you can laugh. Oh, it's uh, kind of funny. Uh, we've probably all heard that joke before or something similar to it. Uh, and let me just preface this by saying that uh, I have been well taken care of and supported in this church. And so uh, I, I thank this church, First Bastrop, for your support of me and my ministry and our staff and, and their ministry here. Uh, so uh, thank you for your support and continue to do so. Uh, but in the broader work of the ministry, oftentimes that deacon's prayer is, is quite often the case in many churches across the nation, across the world. Uh, they think the pastor, you know, he only works two days a week, so why should we pay him, uh, uh, you know, that much? And, and so their mind is, well, the pastor, he's supposed to be poor in spirit anyway, so we'll just keep him poor. And they don't give much to support the pastor. But I want to tell you that according to God's word, that's a sin. That is a sin. The church is responsible for supporting the man of God. The church is responsible for supporting the man of God. So that's what we see in our text today. The church is to support the man of God. Now, as we've been looking through, for going through 1 Corinthians, and today our text is in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 14. If you'd like to go ahead and turn there, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 14. As we've been working through the book of 1 Corinthians, 
we have, well, last week we saw this, that Christian liberty must be governed by knowledge and love. Christian liberty, our freedom in Christ, it must be governed by knowledge. That's doctrinal knowledge, scriptural knowledge, but also love. Love, that not every liberty we should take advantage of, uh, if it hurts another Christian, if it hurts another human being, if it somehow uh, affects them negatively, then we should kind of let go of that right, right? We're to surrender that right, those rights, for the love of someone else. And as we continue on now in, in chapter 9, Paul begins to take himself as an example of that. He is one who has surrendered many of his rights for the love of others, to take the gospel to others, to not be a burden to others. But in this, Paul lays out for us today four reasons to support the man of God. As he's giving this argument, he lays out four reasons to support the man of God. And so today, as we look at this text, chapter 9, verses 1 through 14, I want to encourage you to be faithful in your giving to the ministry of, of this church. Or if you're not a member of this church, to the church to which you belong. Be a faithful giver to the ministry of your church. For it is in your giving... It is in your, through your giving that you help to support the ministry of this church. You help support me. You help support the rest of the ministerial staff. You help support the, the mission of this church as we take the gospel uh, to the world. So I want to encourage you to be faithful in your support. Now, if you found your place there in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 14, please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Hear the word of the Lord. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my de defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Uh, do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he, not, uh, does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher should thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? 
If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put any obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. Well, as we begin to look at our text this morning, we are see, we're going to see four reasons to support the man of God. That's what Paul is doing here. That's what he describes here. And the first reason we see to support the man of God, you support the man of God because of his call. You are to support the man of God because of his call, the call on his life. Paul says there in the opening few scriptures there, look at verse one. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? Paul here makes clear that his call is from God. His call is from God. He wants to declare to this church that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. That is his, his position in the church. He is an apostle. And he's not a, an apostle by his own choice. He is an apostle because God called him to be an apostle. He is reflecting back on his call to the ministry. Now, Paul was one who, who didn't walk as an apostle or a disciple of Jesus while Jesus walked this earth. No, he was called into the apostleship after the fact. Paul was a persecutor of the church. He went out to to kill Christians. It was at the feet of Paul. His name was Saul at that point. But it was at the feet of Paul that the people who stoned the first Christian martyr, Stephen, laid their coats. And he gave approval to the martyrdom, to the killing of Stephen. He went out and he chased after the church and tried to kill off all Christians. He would would rather have all the Christians either killed off or put into prison or whatever. But on the road to Damascus, the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to Paul. And he called him out of his sinful ways, out of his rebellion. And he called him into service. He called him to be an apostle. One who would go out and not ravage the church, but to build the church through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was not by choice. Paul did not choose to trust in Christ. He did not choose to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. Christ came to him. Christ confronted him. Christ called him out of sin. Christ called him to be an apostle. It is Christ who gave the call. And Paul simply answered the call. Paul, there was nothing else. And in fact, as we continue on, we'll see in a week or two that Paul, he'll say that 
He's compelled to preach the gospel. He can't help but preach the the gospel because that's what God called him to do. Furthermore, this call of his was confirmed by the church. Look at verse 2. If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Paul's uh, reflecting back on on when he came to Corinth. Here Corinth was, this this city of sin. We've we've talked about that, right? Corinth, first century Corinth, it was kind of like the the Las Vegas of the ancient Roman Empire. It was sin city. What happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. And here comes Paul. He brings the gospel of Jesus Christ to Corinth and he builds this great and wonderful, wonderful church there in Corinth. It's through his ministry. Now, Paul didn't do that. But God did that through Paul. It was the power of God accompanying Paul's ministry. As Paul preached, his preaching went out with the power of God and hearts were changed and transformed and the church was established there. And so this was confirmation of Paul's call. Paul was called by God in person. And then his call was confirmed as that preaching had power and hearts were transformed through the power of his preaching. The man of God has no choice in his calling. The man of God, has the, he receives the call. And let me tell you, if you receive the call of God and you try to run from that call, God will get you. He's going to get your attention. He's going to bring you in. I'm going to tell you, I'm a pastor today. I'm a preacher today because of God's call on my life. When I graduated high school... Preaching wasn't in the the future, not in my mindset. The preaching was nowhere ahead of me. And it was about 10 years later, when I was about 30 years old, that God got a hold of me. He said, all right, wake up. It's time. I'm calling you. You're going to be my servant. You're going to preach the word. God, are you sure? Because I'm not sure about this. I'm not very good with words. I get all nervous when I have to talk in front of people. Are you sure, God? Because I'm not sure. But I'm going to tell you, when God called me into the ministry, there was nothing else I could do. One of my my best friends, his dad's in the ministry. And so when God started calling me into the ministry, I, I went over to my buddy's house and I sat down with his dad and I said you know how how do I know this how how do I know that God is calling me into the ministry and he gave me these wonderful words of wisdom if you can do anything else go do it if you can do anything else anything else in the world if you can do anything else go do it and if you can't then God's calling you into the ministry There's nothing else I could do. Absolutely nothing else I could do. I just think about my life before God called me into the ministry and I went through this career and that career. I hopped about from this thing to that thing, trying to find my place in the world. But when God called me, I knew my purpose. 
God had given me my purpose. There was nothing else I could do. And there's nothing else I want to do but to preach the word of God. My greatest prayer is that I'll just, you know, preach my last sermon, go take a Sunday nap and never wake up. I wouldn't mind dying in the pulpit because that's my call in life. That's what, I, what God has called me to do. That's what I, I desire to do. That's my passion. I'm compelled to preach the gospel. There's nothing else I can do. You support the man of God because of his call, the call of God on his life. Second, you support the man of God because it is customary. It is customary. It's the customary thing to do, not just in the church, but in the world in general. That's what Paul is getting at in that next paragraph, verses 3 through 7. Look at that. First of all, look at verses 3 through 5. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? He here appeals to what is right. He appeals to his own rights. Do I not have the right to eat and drink? You know, we have certain inalienable rights. There are certain natural rights that we have in the world. And one of those rights is to make a living, to earn a living, to, to support our families, to support ourselves and our families. We have that right. And that's what Paul is appealing to. Don't I have the right to eat and drink? Don't I have the right to, to have a wife and to bring a wife along with me and support my wife if, if I, God called me to that? There's that right to, to live and to support ourselves. Now, this is a, a natural right from God. But notice what he goes on to say. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? He, he is appealing to the secular world around him. This is the way it is in the world. The guy who's out there tending the flock, he has a certain expectation. He's not just out there to do that for free. Right? He has an, expect, an expectation as he, he gives his time to that, that he's going to get some benefit from it. He's going to partake of some of the milk. He's going to get paid for that. So it is with the soldier. You don't send a soldier off to a war and expect him to, to take care of his own expenses, to buy his own ammo, to, to buy his own clothes. No, you, you support him, right? And Paul says, why not in the church? If that's the way it is, if that's the customary way to do things in the world, is it not right then for the man of God to earn a living? To support his family? Through the ministry of the gospel? You know, the 14th Amendment was added to our Constitution back uh, soon after the Civil War. At that time, there were some people who were 
trying to keep the, the former slaves oppressed, and so they were not allowing them to work, or they would get them to work and withhold their wages and, and do all kinds of uh, mess like that to keep them oppressed. And so our nation passed the 14th Amendment, which reads, no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States. Now, the term privileges and immunities includes what they call economic rights, the right to make a living, to support yourself and to support your family. Our Constitution recognizes that that is a natural right that we have as human beings to earn a living. And so Paul makes that same argument. Don't we have the right? Isn't it customary in our society for a man to work and to make a living by the gifts and talents that God has given him? The man of God has the right. He has that right to make a living doing the things that God has called him to do. So we support the man of God because it is customary. So you support the man of God because, it is, because of his call and because it is customary. But third, you should support the man of God because it is God's law. It is God's law. Paul doesn't leave it in the secular world, does he? No, he brings it into the law of God. Notice what he says there in verse 13. Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? Paul says the Old Testament commandment, he, he goes back to the law of God, the law of Moses given in the Old Testament, which was their scriptures at the time. And the New Testament hadn't been developed yet. It was their scriptures. He said, look back at the law. And this is customary in the secular world, but, but God commands it. God commands it. We don't just have to rely on what the world says is right, but God commands this. This is a law in the Word of God. And he looks to the law of the ox. The law of the ox. For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Now, this was kind of a, one of those strange when you're just reading through the Old Testament law and you come across that and you're like, hmm, what is he talking about there? Well, Paul explains this. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher should uh, thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. This was this law of God to not muzzle the ox as it treads out the grain. God wasn't so concerned about the ox. In fact, the Jewish commentators, even in Paul's day, they, they, they made this point that it wasn't to the ox that God had concern, but certainly if you should support the ox who is treading out the grain, if the ox is supposed to get some of the grain to, to live, to survive on, then what about the man driving the ox? What about the man who is in there uh, threshing the, the threshing? What about those who are working in the field? If the ox is to be supported, certainly how much more 
are the human beings created in the image and likeness of God, how much more are they to be supported by the crop? And Paul brings this down to the church. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share rightful claim on you, do we, do not we even more? He brings it from the farmer out in the field to the preacher in the church and the music minister and the missions pastors and, and all of those who serve in the church as they plow spiritual things, right? As they, as they sow spiritual things, how much more are they to reap the benefits from their sowing, their reaping, their plowing in the spiritual things of God? We support the manna of God because of God's law, because of God commands it of us. Then he goes on there and he begins to, he, he does reveal something to us. And this is kind of getting to his point and we'll get more on this later. But he reveals to us a little bit about the missionary's way. We have the, the law of God, the law of the ox and law of the sower. But now he reveals to us the way of the missionary. Nevertheless, right, this is our rightful claim. We should reap some of the benefit from you. Nevertheless... We have not made use of this right, but we endure everything rather than to put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Now, Paul is speaking as an apostle, as an, a missionary of God. He came to Corinth. There was no church in Corinth. He came to Corinth and he is preaching the gospel for the first time. He's proclaiming the gospel for the first time, and he certainly doesn't want to be a burden on these people whom he is preaching to. They're unbelievers. They're unbelievers. There's no established church. They're unbelievers. Should we support this guy or not? I don't know. Is he preaching? What he's preaching is true. Is it false? I don't, I don't know. They were trying to figure it out. And so Paul didn't want to put a burden on them. He didn't want to, them to think that his message for them was just to get a paycheck, right? And so he, didn't, he wasn't compelled to ask them for an offering. He wasn't compelled to ask them for support because they were just trying to figure this thing out. And so he wanted to make sure that they knew this gospel that he has given, this gospel is free of charge. It, it doesn't come with any kind of price tag attached to it. This is free of charge. And so he came, he came, and he worked he was a tent maker, and this is what Paul did so much of the time. He worked by the, the, the palm of his hands. He worked for a living, and, and he made his own living so that he wouldn't, didn't have to charge the church, if you will. He didn't have to be a burden to them while they were just trying to figure this thing out. Now, this doesn't mean that Paul didn't receive some support from other churches. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 9 says, And when I was with you, and was in need, I did not burden any, anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. 
So I refrain and will refrain from burdening you in any way. And so Paul says, and this is, you can go back to Acts and see this kind of work out as well. As Paul, he came to Corinth. He met Priscilla and Aquila and he began to work with them because they were tent makers too. So he was there alone and he met them. They were Christians and they began to build tents together and do work together. And he began to earn his own living while he was preaching the gospel. But then when when Silas and Timothy and the others who were with him, they made their way on down. They caught up with Paul. They had stayed up in Macedonia. They stayed up in Philippi and Thessalonica and those churches. And, and, and they kind of hung out there while Paul went on ahead. But when they came, they brought support from Macedonia, from the church of Philippi, from the church at Thessalonica. Other churches in, in the, the area of Macedonia, they brought support so that when they arrived, Paul was able to quit his tent making and focus in on the gospel. Because now he's being supported by these other established churches. And, and that's what we do. That's another thing that we do because I'm not the only man of God that we support. Brother Larry's not the only man of God that we support. We support other men and women of God who are going out as missionaries to the nations. In fact, when you give to the regular, uh, the general fund of our church, when you give to your regular offering to the church, 10% of what you give goes to the cooperative program. 2% goes to our local association. 8% goes to the cooperative program. And the cooperative program goes to fund international and uh, national and state missionaries. Because we don't want them to go to these nations who have never heard the gospel and say, oh, well, here's the gospel of Jesus Christ. By the way, can you help support me? Can, can you give me a, 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 an income here? No, we want them free from that so that they can give the gospel without charge so that the gospel is not uh, hindered in any way going out to the lost nations. And so when you give to the church, to the ministry of the church, you're supporting missionaries around the world. You're helping support missionaries around the world. So give to our regular offering, give to our LOFJ, Love Offering for Jesus. That's another one that goes out to the missionaries. Give to those things in order to support the missionary, those who are taking the gospel to new places around the world, places where the gospel has never been preached. So God's law compels us to support the man of God, whether it be in the church, whether it be our church staff or in the mission field. So support the man of God because of his call, because it is customary and because it is God's law. Fourth, we support the man of God because of Christ's command, because of Christ's command. I'm sure Paul is kind of thinking some of these thoughts. He's thinking, well, you might say, well, that's the Old Testament, Paul. We're in the new. The law is, it's, it's past. It's the old covenant. It's the old thing. We're in the new. And, and so we're under the law of Christ. And he says, all right, well, here's what Christ says about that. In fact, Christ affirms that. It is commanded in the Old Testament 
Notice what he says there going on in verse 13. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offering? He's going back to the Old Testament ceremonial law. The temple or the the priest in the temple. That's how the Levites made their living. They made their living because they they got some of the sacrifice. They got some of the the benefits from the temple, from the sacrificial system. That's where they got their support. God said they're not to do ordinary labor. He made towns for the Levites and he said they're not to do ordinary labor. Yeah, they'll have their flocks and all of that sort of thing, but they, they are mine. They are mine and their life is service unto me. Therefore, you support them. You take care of them. And so uh, that's the Old Testament. But then Jesus just affirms this. He ordains this same uh, thought, the same mentality for the New Testament church. Look at verse 14. In the same way, just like The Old Testament Jews supported the Levites and all the priests who took care of the temple service. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. When Jesus sent out the apostles back in Matthew chapter 10, verses 9 through 10, he gave them this word, acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts. In other words, don't take your wallet. When you're going out to proclaim the gospel, don't take your wallet. Don't take any money with you. No bag for your journey. Don't pack a suitcase or two tunics or sandals or a staff nothing extra no extra clothes don't take anything extra with you why for the laborer deserves his food the laborer deserves his food as god as christ sent out the apostles he says uh, you should be making a living from the gospel you should be making a living from the gospel Don't take extra clothes with you. Don't take your money. Uh, Don't take your wallet. Don't take all these things. You're worth your labor. And so Christ commands that the church take care of, support those who go out to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you, uh, if you hire a mowing service, Right. If you hire a mowing service and they come out and they mow your yard and they get through mowing your yard and doing all the weeding and eating and all of that stuff. And then they, what they, they come to the door, unless you have a bill system paid up, they come to the door. Hey, I'm, I finished up your yard. And what do you say? Oh, great. Thanks. No, you say, OK, well, here's your check, right? Uh, they're, com- they're expecting to get paid because they've used the equipment they have. They've used their, their gas. They've used their time. They've used their, their talents, their, their abilities that God has given them to serve you. And a- as is customary, as is the way of life, you then pay them for their service. And thus it is for the man of God, the men of God who work in the 
and labor in the fields of the Lord. The laborer is worth his wages, Jesus says. Therefore, God has called a man of God to the task of giving, uh, giving his life, right? God has, has equipped him, given him the skills to study the word, to preach the word, to, to go out and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has empowered him by the power of the Holy Spirit to do the work of the ministry. And the laborer is worth his wages. The man of God is worth his wages to receive the benefit of his labors. So we support the man of God because of his call, because it is customary, because it is God's law, and because it is Christ's command to the church to support the man of God. The church is responsible to support the man of God. That means that each church member is responsible in some way of supporting the man of God and the ministry of the church, which you do through your giving. That's how you do it. You you give. God commands us to to tithe, to give a tithe. That's at least 10% of of our normal income. God calls us to give that to the church, and and that tithe goes to the, the regular offering, to the general offering of the church. Not some special offering, not to a love offering, not even to the love offering for Jesus. Your tithe goes to the, to the normal offering of the church, the general fund of the church. And that's to support me and Larry and, and Keith and Marion and, and Ken and, and all of us who, who give our time and our energies to the ministry of the church. You, you support us through that. Also, you support the, all the ministries of the church, the children's ministry, the family ministries, the, 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 the things that we do in our community. You support missionaries through that giving. And then, if God has really blessed you and you have above and beyond that that you can give, then you, you, you give the, the offering of thanksgiving, right? The free will offering to the love offering for Jesus and, and the other love offerings that we might have from time to time. You, you give to those to help support the ministries of God. So I want to encourage you today, dear church member. Again, if you're a member of this church, you, you give to this church. If you're a member of another church and you're just visiting here today, then, then you give to your church. God has called you to do that. As a follower of Jesus Christ, saved by the redeeming love of Jesus Christ, He has called you as a child of God to freely give. Freely give to the ministry of the gospel. He equipped you. He gave you the ability to earn whatever amount of money that you earn, whether it's from retirement, whether it's from a job, whether it's from whatever. He has given you that ability. You earn because God has blessed you to earn. And he can take it all away just like that. Just ask Job. You have all that you have because of the blessings of God. And more than that, dear Christian, God has bought you 
with a price. The price of the precious blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. What God has given for you. What has He given for you? He died on Calvary's cross in your place for your sins so that you might gain everlasting life in Him that you may gain the reward of His kingdom, that you might be a co-heir with Christ. Whatever you have in this world, in this life, it is nothing. It is trash compared to what you have awaiting you in glory. Give. Whatever God has blessed you with, give. Give. So that others might come into the kingdom and receive the gift of salvation as the gospel goes out and is proclaimed. Give even as Christ has given unto you. Give to his glorious kingdom today. Oh, Heavenly Father. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, you cover all the details, even those details of how to support the ministry, your ministry, the ministry of your church. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word, for your direction in our lives. And we recognize as your followers, as your people, Lord, you call us into obedience. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, you equip us to obey. You empower us to obey. So Lord, touch our hearts today and let us give an obedience to your word so that we might see your kingdom expand all the more. And Lord, I do pray, even though today's message was more directed towards the church, Lord, if there's any who do not believe today, who've never trusted in Jesus, I pray, Lord, today that they would leave here knowing that Christ died for their sins and by your grace, through faith, if they only trust in Jesus, they may gain everlasting life in Him. Oh, Lord, turn their hearts to Christ today. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.